What is happening, folks? Welcome back to another episode of the Christian Hansen Show, episode 75? 75? Yeah, 75 it is. Rudy Ruiz is the guest, a very, very, very funny comedian. You can check out his debut comedy special on YouTube called Alopecian American. Uh, Rudy and me had a very great conversation, very engaging. We get into the nitty-gritty. We talk about jail. I haven't been there. He has. We talk about uh, addiction. I haven't had one. Well, financially, I think we we all have addictions in, in, in some capacity, whether we're open about it or not. Um, there's something that we can't shake. Uh, it doesn't have to be drugs. It could be you know, little habits, little ticks. Uh, but we talk about that. Um, but yeah, Rudy's a very funny dude. I met him at the West Chicago Social Club uh, a little over a year ago at an open mic. Uh, very funny dude. We connected there, and now, boom, here we are on the show. Uh, you could catch Rudy if you're in the Chicagoland area Saturday, March 25th at the Bohemian Hall. Walk that back, Wisconsin area. Saturday, March 25th at the Bohemian Hall fundraiser at the Bay City Cultural Center in Ashland, Wisconsin. Uh, you could catch him there. And also Thursday, March 30th in Aurora, Illinois at the Still Not Friday Comedy at Two Brothers Roundhouse uh, in Aurora, Illinois. That's where you can catch him. Uh, Rudy Ruiz was on the show. Hope all is well with everyone listening. Thank you all for tuning in. As always, without further ado, this is me conversing with a very funny man, Rudy Ruiz. Enjoy. For uh, for putting me on, I know. Uh, no, we met. I think we met last summer I at uh, the at WT Social Club, and then I know you mentioned it, but then our schedules got all like crazy busy. But yeah, then I'm really glad that you uh, you brought me on as a guest. It's cool. Yeah, you know what? I think you're right. I think it was the West Chicago Social Club, but I, I've seen you before. I think it was uh, CG's, uh, not CG's, um, Comedy Shrine. I've seen you there before, but we first time we talked was at the the Social Club. But uh, yeah, man, I uh, like I said, appreciate you doing this. I watched your special, loved it. Uh, debut special, twelve oh, years. Thanks. Yeah, twelve years in, you finally got the first one done. How'd that feel? So. Dude, that was so surreal because I didn't think anyone was going to come out. Because <laughs> <laughs> as comedians, like when we actually have people that come out to see us specifically. Right. You know, especially when all you do is host and you feature or you do a guest spot. But when you're closing out the show, yeah. let alone, I mean, it was a 30 minute special. But uh, yeah, when I got there, oh, actually when Matt Drufke had messaged me, um, I want to say it was like four o'clock or three o'clock that same day. Like three o'clock in the afternoon, he's like, "I just want to tell you, I'm so proud of you. We've officially sold out the venue. Amazing! Yeah, there was like a hundred and like twenty people, hundred and thirty people, like to the point where the balcony seats were packed and people were like <laughs> hanging out in the back hall, you know, hanging out in the stairway. So, yeah, man, when I when I got up there and it was like for like a split second, I like had a little mini heart attack." I was like, shit, I got to do good now. Yeah. Like, <laughs> It's happening. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it was really cool uh, once the final editing happened. And um, I'll be honest, dude, I was nervous putting it out. Sure. Because it's, you know, a lot of that stuff's personal. Oh, you've seen my comedy. My comedy's 90% personal. As it I should just, be. I mean, I think most yeah. of it's, most of all comedies derived from personal experience. I think it'd be hard to to come up with an act that had nothing to do with your life. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not a I'm not a one-liner 
type comic or right. you know I, everything is a, i'm a storyteller so yeah once everything came together i was like oh man i don't know how it's gonna be you know re, you know taken i don't know if people are gonna like it or not right. and finally i just put it up and it's got a couple views on there it's i'm just glad i got it over with and i'm glad i was able to uh, get it out there right and then you know the TikTok thing and whatever so <laughs> it was dude, like when i when i finished it i was on such a high oh sure well, yeah yeah, and then <laughs> when they sent me the raw video, I'm sitting there just over analyzing. Oh, I missed this punchline. Shouldn't have said that. Uh, Screwed that. <laughs> yeah, there's too much dead air here. I, you know, I started picking it apart, and finally, you know, a friend of mine was like, "Dude, stop. Just leave it alone. Mm -hmm. you know, let it, you know, ignore it for the next couple of weeks. You know, maybe a week or two, and then go back and take a look at it. Because you did awesome. You did awesome. But it's, yeah, I mean, we're all like that. We're our own sure. worst critic. You know." Right, but uh, but yeah, I'm glad you liked it. That means a lot. Thank you. Yeah, I watched it. Uh, watched it the other day, and I watched it again this morning. But uh, I noticed because I, I, I just took notes throughout all of it to kind of prep me for this. Oh, wow. uh, <laughs> so uh, obviously, uh, it sounds like you grew up in Aurora. Then I take it based on, yeah, yeah. Okay, so how long? How long have you been there then, in Aurora? Uh, I grew up in Aurora. I went to uh, elementary school, middle school, high school. Oh, wow, yeah. Uh, I actually moved out of Aurora when I got married the first time. Oh. I've been married twice. Yeah, I know that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, I moved out um, out of Aurora. I think I was, like, maybe 20. I moved to Montgomery. Montgomery, uh, Illinois? Illinois? Yeah, Montgomery, Illinois. Is that where the Caterpillar uh, plant is? Yeah, right around there. Maybe, yeah. like, 10 minutes away from there. Okay. But it's it was right next to like the southeast side of Aurora. Mm -hmm. So I lived in Montgomery, the Boulder Hill area for quite a few years. Then I moved to Oswego. Um, so the kids go to the Oswego School District. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I just recently went back to Aurora a couple of years ago. Gotcha. So but other than that, yeah, I was living out there. I lived in the city for a little bit, but yeah, that didn't work. It didn't work out? <laughs> no. Because no. all my I'm a painting contractor. Ooh. So all my work so is out in the west suburbs. Yeah. yeah. So I wanted to stay in chicago to be closer to the city mics and the showcases mm -hmm. but the tolls and the gas oh, are just screw you, man absolutely yeah screw you. but uh but yeah i grew up actually grew up in the east side of aurora i grew up in the very uh hood part of aurora <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, i got you there so the i noticed obviously mexican heritage but the one thing that caught me native american as well i mean who is yeah. talking about that growing up was a mom and dad what was the dynamic was was the mom, um, my Mexican. mom, yeah, on my mom's side, it's all Mexican and Tejano. Uh, you know, Tejano, no. Te oh, you heard? Oh, Tejano are Mexicans that are from Texas. Oh, okay. So instead of calling them Mexicanos, they call them Tejanos. Okay. So that's on my mom's side. On my dad's side, because my mom's side, they're from Brownsville, Texas, okay. which is all the way down by the border of Mexico. Uh, on my dad's side, they're also Tejanos from San Antonio, Texas, but on my grand my dad's dad on his side he has apache indian ancestors oh wow so my great-grandfather if you i don't have a picture of him I, it's out in the <laughs> living room but um you see him he looks more native american hmm. than he does mexican interesting so that's where that comes it comes from my dad's side of the family there's apache indian i heard there's yaki indian too but i know definitely there's apache indian in there yeah. the big family i take it then uh yeah it was me my family uh my mom my dad um and then i have uh two sisters from my mom and then uh 
three other sisters from my dad's affair. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right, comedy. I actually have five sisters. Five sisters. Yeah. Were y'all close growing up? Yeah, actually, uh, well, I didn't meet my, my three other sisters until a couple of years ago, but my, my two sisters, uh, Jennifer is the youngest, Sandra's mm-hmm. the oldest. Uh, it actually goes me, Sandra, then Jennifer. Um, yeah, when we were younger, we were really close. Um, and then, you know, when you kind of grow up, get married, have kids, you kind of just kind of all go your separate yeah, ways. Yeah, kind of stop. But, uh, but yeah, we were really close, dude. We, it was weird because we, we grew up on the east side of Aurora. We grew up on a lot of gang activity, sure, a lot of drug dealers and all that shit. But we were never peer pressured into anything. They, I mean, they left us alone. I mean, I don't know if it helped that my cousins are Latin kings, but they, <laughs> they left. No one bothered us. So all that stuff you see on TV, where you get peer pressured into taking drugs, peer pressured into getting in gangs, we never had any of that. Now I got into my trouble on my own accord. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't need any help for it. Yeah, didn't but, yeah. We we're, were pretty close growing up. Mm-hmm. I uh, I noticed that um, the location for the special though then kind of was a, a very well chosen you know spot because I yeah. think that was in Aurora so there was a lot of content that was rather relatable to whoever was in the room um, which I think helps helps uh, navigate your yeah. you know your entire uh, what's the word um, navigate the show for you uh, it kind of it kind of oh, definitely yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I always, uh, when I started comedy 12 years ago, um, I always wanted to do a special in Aurora. That was that was a no-brainer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I finally figured out, hey, I'm going to do, uh, you know, um, a 30-minute special. Initially, it was supposed to be like an hour. Mm-hmm. But the, th- the thing with that special was there's actually, we can talk about it later, or, or we can talk about it now. There's actually two or three new jokes I did off the top of my head in that special. Wow, that's ballsy. Yeah, yeah because, a 50-50 yeah, because chance. You're either going to screw it up or it's going to hit. Work. Yeah, um, so there's that. There was two or three little tags on older jokes that I tried out because when you're riding that wave and mm-hmm. the audience is with you, there's like a little voice in the back of your head like, man, let's try this. Let's see right. what happens. You know, the worst you could do is, okay, they might not get it, but your next joke is this, which is going to work. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but yeah, it was, it was always wanted. I always wanted to, to be in Aurora. That's why I, I think the first joke I do, it's about Aurora. Mm-hmm. It's about Aurora being next to Naperville. And it, which is, that's a thing, bro. Like when people say they're from Aurora, they'll specify if they're ne- right next to Naperville, which ironically is where I live now. <laughs> so you I know right next to yeah. So I live in Aurora, okay. but it's right next to Naperville. So mm-hmm. there's a ton of, cool white people around here there's no gangs out here <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. good i mentioned uh, i know you mentioned in there you, have, you had some kids too his daughter and a son i have three kids yeah three kids my son is 26 oh wow uh, he'll be 27 in may uh my oldest daughter she just turned 23 yesterday um jocelyn i'm isaiah's my son jocelyn's my oldest daughter she just turned 23 and then my youngest is elias she's 16 she'll be 17 this may Unbelievable. So when did the then when did the the comedy come to fruition? Was it bef- when you started to have kids, or was it before kids? Oh no no, uh, comedy didn't start until after I got divorced. Mm, that's usually I, yeah, I, so, I see that through line for many comedians. Usually something like that yeah, happens. it's always you always see some tragic events mm-hmm. that springboarded them mm-hmm. into uh, into comedy, or they started like as a teenager. Right. I didn't start. Com- I'm 46 now. I didn't start comedy till I was like. 
think 34, 33 or something like that. Mm. And looking back, honestly, I think if I had started any earlier, I would I, it would have never worked. Really? I think I had to go through a lot of turmoil for it to actually come together the way it has. I think I had not gone through, because I've been through a lot, but, and dude, we'll spend two hours doing that shit. But anyway, so I think, I think that was, that was my time to start comedy was after that first divorce. Mm, because at, at the, at the tail end of that first divorce is when I started stand up. So my initial material was very, very abrasive about my ex-wife mm. to the point where like the audience would laugh, but then, a lot of the anger started to brew and then people are like, ha 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 ha. Oh wow. This guy's still in this pain. Guy's like, fucking angry. <laughs> he's still angry. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like a, it's like an early Mark Marin energy where you're laughing, but you're like, Oh no, is he okay? I don't know if he's okay. Yeah, yeah. Should we give him exactly. a hug? I think he needs a hug. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but no, I, I noticed that too. And then I didn't, uh, you know, obviously certain situations kind of mold you into to who you are. You always have those oh, yeah. low points. Um, and I'm very open about that stuff with me, with, with people that I talk to on here, but where would you say was kind of that, the pivotal point for you, um, you know, post divorce beginning of comedy that, that kind of molded you into kind of who you are today. I mean, we all hit rock bottom at some point. But was there a moment that you kind of go, I need to wake the fuck up? Yeah. Um, I was in jail. <laughs> well, I noticed you referenced that. You don't have to elaborate, but if you do, that's you can. Oh, no, yeah, I, it wasn't, I didn't murder anybody. I didn't okay. rape anybody, nothing like that. It was just bar fights, DUI. Okay. So no double after homicide. My, yeah, no, no, no. Okay. <laughs> um, killing the crowd, that was yeah. about it. That was yeah. stupid. You can have that. Uh, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> no i got i got divorced i think it was 20 i can't remember it was 2010 or 2011 i started comedy in 2011 mm -hmm. so i was going through really really severe depression because we had been married for like 13 14 years mm, that's tough um the divorce came out of nowhere mm. so to go from to go from living with your parents your own family yeah then you move out when you're 18 you move in with your then girlfriend mm-hmm and then you have a baby and you get married. Oh, there's yeah. no, no time where you live on your own. Right. So I went from staying with my parents to basically moving out, getting married and having a life. I bought my first house. When I was like 19, 20 years old. Unbelievable. So then, yeah. So I was married all throughout my 20s into my early 30s. So mm -hmm. when the divorce took place, I was like 33, 34. I had never been on my own. Mm. Never slept, let alone like when, you know, the biggest thing for me was, um, I had to adjust to was not having a sleeping partner. And it's not anything sexual, just someone's not someone near you. there. Yeah. Yeah. Presence. Someone there. Right. So I went through a really severe depression. Um, I had battled with alcoholism nonstop mm. and I would go on these rants. I had just joined Facebook at that time. So then I would go on these rants because I was angry, but it was making the people laugh. So this is before the reaction emojis. People would just leave ha 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 or whatever, lol. Were you confused? And like start... what the what does what are you guys laughing at? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That was my reaction. I, I had a reaction like that where uh, then my friend Renee Fiedler sent me an inbox message back then. She's mm -hmm. like, you know what? Um, I know you kind of get angry when people laugh at these posts. She's like, but they make us laugh at work because I always <laughs> had some on stage. I come off like a smart ass and sure. I'm not trying to be funny. I'm just venting. Mm -hmm. So I'm just like, I'm just frustrated, you know, with this whole divorce thing. And right. 
she tried to get me to pay for her lawyer and all this other shit. Then I got a bar fight. I got a lot going on. Mm-hmm. And she's like, well, she was ever thought about doing stand-up comedy. I'm just like, and that was the furthest thing from my mind. Oh, I'm, I'm sure. Like, no, I had no intention. She's like, Rudy, you're really funny. Like when you were married to your ex-wife and you guys had these cookouts and these barbecues and mm-hmm. you had everyone cracking up just with your stories and your day-to-day experiences at work and stuff. It's just, you, you have a funny way of saying stories. Mm-hmm. Like I think you're really good at stand-up. So that kind of started brewing in the back of my head. I didn't know the difference between stand-up and improv. So I took an improv class at the original Comedy Shrine, which is in downtown Naperville. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did that for, it was a six-week course. Okay. I think I did it for like four weeks. And then I got my DUI. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> I got a couple of bar fights and went to jail. I couldn't finish the course. Mm. But just being on stage, even though it was an improv class, right. it was a really cool experience. It was really cool. So as soon as um, I think I was in jail and the Sunday I was due to be released, because I would go to jail like two or three times. Oh, wow. Like, 30 days here, 15 days there, just troublemaking shit, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. So the last time I was in jail was Father's Day. I didn't know it was Father's Day. And you got a loose sense first- of time, I'm sure, when, when you're in there. Yeah. Everything, you don't, you're disconnected from everything. And I think, like, you mm-hmm. mentioned, I think, too, in your special, that people who are in there for, you know, extended period of time, they don't know how to uh, adapt and uh work themselves back into society you become like you right. said institutionalized yeah because i've had cousins that have been in pr- i went to jail i didn't go to prison right big difference <laughs> right but 15 days cousins. detached from the real world is enough to make you just get a oh, little yeah when you up. when you when you spend the night here and there it's not a big deal when you go away for 15 days 30 mm-hmm. days 45 days here and there after like the third or fourth day you you start going crazy dude because sure. you're in there with like, you know, and what where I was at in Kendall County, it was like a dorm style cell. Oh, wow. There was like 10 bunk beds and there's 20 dudes Ooh. in one room. The room's like maybe 50 by 30. It's like a huge living room. That's it. And then we have a cafeteria mm. and that's it. You read books or you do, you know, exercises or whatever. Right. But I mean, you're there. 24 7 you can't get out so you're around these guys uh like in the special i talk about how i didn't know my snoring was that bad yeah until i was in jail <laughs> yeah. that was that was a i mean most of the special i mean some of it was elaborated but um yeah that was that that was a true thing like my second night in there you know um my snoring got really bad and i had like four or five guys surround my bunk and they were hitting the side of the bunk waking me up yeah. and they snapped like i don't know like two o'clock in the morning and mm-hmm. they're just yelling at me like, dude shut up like you're being loud i'm like i was scared i thought i was gonna get jumped <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then uh but yeah anyway the last time that uh that i was in jail they released me on a sunday i didn't know it was father's day mm-hmm. so when i found out it was father's day i like my heart was crushed because that was the first father's day where i wasn't able to go pick up my kids remember uh-huh. this is after my divorce I wasn't able to go pick up my because usually I pick up my kids. We go out to breakfast. Sure. We go to the park. You know, we have to make a day out of it. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't due to be released till five p.m. that Sunday. So when I got released, I drove straight to my kids. I hugged them. I was crying. I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm never gonna go back to jail. Like I'm. I just was not cool. Sure. So that's when I started kind of cleaning up my act. I mean, I still 
not so much now, but back then I started a temper. But as far as like getting in trouble, I stopped going to bars. My drinking scaled back a lot. Sure. You know, um, and I started taking comedy. I have a very bipolar relationship with comedy. Like there's times I'm really invested. Most comedians do though. Oh yeah. There's just times you're just, it's the most wonderful thing ever. And then it's, it's, it's usually, it's not even the bombing Christian. It's usually the shady ass venues and shady ass, you know, venue owners and bookers that kind of, you know, is a big turnoff. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Or, I mean, every comedian has been through this. Uh, When you come up with your peers and then the next, you know, this person tries to take off, this person tries to take off and you're like, uh, should I be doing more? <laughs> like, right, yeah. Where, where are my opportunities? The bitterness sets in and it make, it makes you bitter, dude, like really bad. And I, I struggled with that bitterness for quite a few years because like the people I came up with was Xavier Lamont, Peter Daniel, oh, okay. I know Xavier. Uh, Jack Baker, Matt Drufke, mm-hmm. um, and then a bunch of other comics. So a lot of the other comics we came up with, like Megan Gailey, she's, you know, I think she lives out in uh, California now. Mm. Um you know uh josh johnson he was on tour with trevor noah unbelievable pat i love that guy yeah pat mcgann he was opening for smash him on so these these people have just blown up and now he's and doing the chicago ride. theater solo yeah pat. yeah unbelievable so when you see these these comedians like you you you, you feel proud that you know them but you're like why oh, not God, me what the fuck yeah <laughs> i'll go tell these dick jokes that mike and denise is an aurora or something yeah. <laughs> <You know what laughs> right? No, I I totally understand. So, uh, aside from comedy, you the other work you do is it painting? I think you referenced that. What else do you do? Before? Oh yeah, um, I'm a I think it's a third generation uh, residential house painter. Is it a family business? Um, hmm? Is it like a family business thing? Uh, well, no, that's the thing. Uh, I had my own business for quite a few years. I worked for myself, mm-hmm. and I just I got burned out with it because when you run a business by yourself. Um, you do everything, the, the bidding, uh, the walkthroughs, setting out the contracts, you know, staying up on your taxes, mm-hmm. making sure you have enough work coming in to pay your bills, you know, uh, paying the guys that work with you. It's a lot. So now I just work uh, at a painting company because they have a thing called benefits. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, they have health insurance and, uh, and the 401k, which is really weird for a painting company, but they really got their shit together. But um, yeah, my dad owned a business for like, I think 12, 13 years. I wow. worked for him. Um, I was fired like four times. I quit like four times. Your dad fired you? Oh, yeah, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my grandfather owned uh, his own company. I've had uncles and aunts that were in construction. We're a straight up blue collar family. Mm-hmm. We have like drywallers, tapers, painters, carpenters, electricians. And you would think... With all those people, we'd have this huge conglomerate construction company. Mm-hmm. But no, the fucking Mexicans can't get along. So that's why everybody just does their own thing. But yeah, I, I do drywall taping, painting. I do carpentry. I know and install floors. Um, I'm, I mean, I'm pretty handy because that's what I. I grew up on construction sites actually. Mm-hmm. Oh wow! Okay. I was like Ten years old, yeah. Because because I, I lived in that hood ass part of Aurora. <laughs> my grandfather, God rest his soul, my dad's dad. He um, told my dad one time, he's like, hey, do you mind if I take Rudy out to the, this is like 1986, mm-hmm. like 10. He said, do you mind if I take him to the job site with me? Because I don't want him staying here and getting in trouble with all those kids in the sure, neighborhood. Yeah. 
So then my dad was like, yeah, that's fine. So my sisters would get babysat by my aunt. My grandfather would take me on the construction sites. This is 1986. No one gave a damn about a 10-year-old on a construction site. So I grew and that's, I think, honestly, Christian, I think that's what molded my overall demeanor. Sure, yeah. Because I grew up with a lot of alpha personalities, a lot of testosterone, <laughs> a lot of men and women, because like the women that are on the construction sites, when they get into upper management, they have to be more alpha than everybody else in the job site. Sure, yeah. So you grow up with that influence and it's like, it seeps into your DNA. So now, you walk around with this assertive demeanor, even though you're not trying to be aggressive. Right. You from the you know from the time I was ten years old, that's what kind of molded me. So there's that part. The other part, a lot of construction workers are always just roasting each other, just oh, to buy always. time, and they have such a demented and dark sense of humor. So I grew up with that alpha testosterone personality, but then on this on this side, like eight nine ten hours a day, we're making fun of each other. You know, yeah, there's a bunch of racist jokes that go on, but <laughs> I mean, you know, that's what I came up with. So I came up with, which I didn't know back then, I came up in a comedic environment. Right. So, you know, I'm used to just roasting people or just snapping on somebody because in these meetings, these guys would just go off on these rants and I would smile, <laughs> but they're not just kind of like me. Like, they're not being funny. They're just frustrated. Right. So they just start you know, flying off in these construction meetings. So that's what I grew up with, which led me, which is weird because I wind up being a stand-up comedian because of that. Mm -hmm. How do you find the time to do this though? I mean, you're still working, you know, still those long yeah. hours. And then at night, the last thing I want to do, aside from doing open mics for music is do anything. But sit yeah, at you home. Know what? I, think, <laughs> I know it sounds really corny. I think it's just, it's such an addictive passion for it. Sure that once I started the very first time I got on stage and the lights hit me, when I heard that first laughter, mm -hmm. it was, I mean, you hear this in everyone's interviews and podcasts, you just, you get hooked and now you chase that laughter. Right. Like it's to the point where I know this sounds kind of weird, but when, when, especially in that comedy special that I did, I will pay attention to the tone and the pitch of someone's laughter mm -hmm. so much to the extent you can tell if it's coming from their belly or if it's coming from the back of their throat. How can you or tell? They're being, or they're being courteous. A, be a belly laugh, I think it has a little more base to it because it's coming from their diaphragm. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like it's it's the energy in that laughter is more uh, it's more genuine. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Good you know? And then you have the people that laugh where it's like it's funny, but it's coming from the back of their throat, so it sounds a little more thinner. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, and then you have the ones that just have a courtesy laugh, like, ha ha, which is more of an insult. It's like, you know, you don't have to miss the motherfucker. The joke bombed a bomb. Right. You know? <laughs> no, I get yeah. that. So when, uh, you said, so it was your friend, I believe it was, you said Renee who said, yeah, you should do it. You should do it. Was there at the time, was there, I mean, were you even into it? Like, was there, was comedy something that you watched out, you know, when you had time, like comedy central, the, the presents those half hours, or was this at that, at that given moment, just all new to you in general? Like who were the guys that you dug watching growing up, whether the, you know, be like a, uh, a lot of people like the, you know, the Hedberg, the Marins, the, uh, Gaffigans, who, who were the guys for you that you kind of stuck to as far as idolizing then when you really got into we, it? We always had stand-up comedy 
in our house because my dad is a huge fan. He's never seen my shit, but my dad's a huge fan. He's never been to a show, but he was a huge fan of Richard Pryor mm-hmm. and Eddie Murphy. So um, we always had those specials back then. We had HBO. Right. Yeah. So when their specials would drop, it'd be on HBO. Mm-hmm. But because they were so vulgar, my dad would tell us we had to go to our room. I would actually <laughs> sit down the hallway and just kind of listen. And I could hear my dad just, it was the weirdest thing because that's the first time I heard my dad like genuinely laugh. Really? My dad was in the army for like 10 years. He was a sergeant. Oh, hard ass. Uh, yeah. So he was a hard ass. So mm-hmm. to hear him actually laugh, it caught my attention. And then, um, yeah, it was Richard Pryor, Eddie Murphy. Uh, Martin Lawrence. I grew up around a, lo- a lot of black comedy. Sure. Okay. African American comedians. Um, I grew up on Def Jam. I grew up on Comic View. Um, I grew up on a lot of like Red Fox, uh, Moms Mabley, Dick Gregory, Robin Harris, like old school comedians. Mm-hmm. You know, and then I love, I also love um, Mitch Hedberg, Rodney oh, yeah. Dangerfield, uh, George Carlin. George Carlin was, dude, just to see him you know, become so masterful at the English language. And then it's like he orchestrated just an amazing set and the way he would interpret the human condition. It was, it really set him apart from a lot of the other comedians, just the way he observed the human condition and the breakdown in humanity and how vulgar and perverse it can be. Like he would, he he would go to a really dark place, but he made it so funny. Right. You know? Yeah. That's, that's why I always grew up around standup. Yeah. Do you think there's still people who do it that way today? I mean, there's some that I could think of. I think you have guys like Tim Dillon who kind of crossed that, crossed that, yeah. uh, that line a little bit. Mark Norman definitely does. Um, he is. Uh, if you don't have any sense of humor, you probably should not uh, see him live. But <laughs> there, there are still people who do that. But uh, who, <clears throat> who are your guys right now, like out there that you are really digging, like the current, the current scene? You know, I like. Uh... Oh, what the hell is his name? I just saw his special a few days ago. Um, Tom starts with the last name starts with the S. Oh boy. Uh, burp, 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 burp. I can't. Let me see here. Was it on uh, Netflix? Tom Segura. Yeah, on Netflix. Tom Segura. Yeah. Funny dude. Yeah. I like. Yeah, I like Tom Segura. Uh, I love Bill Burr. Um, I like. I actually like Ricky Gervais a lot too. Really? I never got into him. Yeah, I like. Yeah, I like Ricky Gervais. I like him a lot. And then uh, the uh, I like Corey Holcomb. Mm, okay. I get, the, you know the thing that's weird is that I I get into moments where like I just watched Chris Rock's live special on Netflix so over the weekend. Freaking good. And uh, oh, that was amazing. But then I won't see stand up for like weeks at a time on TV because I'm around it so much. Oh, I get it. I talked to yeah. many people on here. Like during COVID, I was doing two episodes a week for almost six months straight and it was all mm. comedians and that's all I was doing is watching Comedy Central for just a half hour and then I took like seven months off and I was like I can't yeah. do this this is too much comedy yeah oh yeah you get like um I, I guess you get overwhelmed because just when you're when you when you perform it you're around it mm-hmm. and then you come home you want to just kind of decompress Detach. yeah yeah, detach from it. And then when you go watch it, it's like you can't appreciate it because you're already you're I think comedians watch specials way different from your typical fan because we're waiting for a setup. We're listening for the punchline. 
we're seeing where he tags the joke. You're tracking the you know, cadence. You're trying to figure out how we right, enunciate. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's we we watch it in a, in a very different lens, mm-hmm. you know, as your regular you know fan of comedy. Right. You know, just from watching your special, there's some things that I point out that I thought were funny. I love the line about the. Uh, how are you going to drive? Uh, you can't even stand. You said no standing needed to drive. I thought that was very funny. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know where that joke came from? Uh, I was married to my kid's mom. Um, I went out drinking. I think it was for my birthday, I think. Mm-hmm. And I got completely smashed. <laughs> and yeah, my dumbass drove home. And I was trying to put the key in the front door, but I was so obliterated. I couldn't do it. But my ex-wife, <laughs> she heard me trying to open the door. And my body weight was on the door. Mm-hmm. So when she unlocked the door and opened it, I fell into the hallway. Oh, jeez. And I tried to get up, and I'm, like, bouncing off the walls. And then she's like, did you drive home like that? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. And I'm trying to compose myself. She's like, Rudy, you can't even stand up. How did you drive home? Right. Like, Bitch, I don't need to stand up to drive. <laughs> yeah. So that's that joke. <laughs> of course, the joke is different. I talk about uh, going to my uh, alcohol abuse counselor and, which was, that was another thing, but that's where that actual, I don't need to stand up to drive came from. Mm-hmm. I just put it in the meeting, the alcohol abuse counselor. No, so, but that, that actual thing, I didn't say that. Dumb yeah. Shit, yeah. No, I like that. And then the other thing that I thought was very relatable and it was kind of a situation that I'm in, well, was in for a little bit and kind of uh, in the past as well, where you mentioned the online dating, the struggle, I thought it was relatable about, uh, you know, being nice to someone uh, who isn't used uh to being treated nicely, people who've been in toxic yeah. relationships in the past. I dealt with that, uh, my girlfriend now, I dealt with that early on, and she asked me about two and a half months in, she goes, so when are you gonna snap? I'm like, what? I'm like, mm-hmm. what do you mean? She goes, like, you haven't <laughs> hit me yet? I'm like, yet? Like, are you waiting for it? Because it's not gonna happen. Like, uh, I find that very trying too. But it's very confusing mm-hmm. because some people, that's all they've ever known. But yeah. from someone's perspective who's never treated anyone that way, you're confused. And when you're just being yeah. yourself and showing genuinely you know, respect and how you should treat someone, it felt weird for that to come off as you know, not normal. Like, what do you mean? Yeah, it's how, very, it sh- very how it should be. How was that? Did that affect a lot of your relationships, it sounded? Oh, yeah. Like... Um... I'm sorry, dude, I didn't. I didn't even ask you. Can we curse during this podcast? It's kind of yeah, late man. now. Are you kidding me? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm very blunt. I'm, I'm. I mean, you probably figured that out by now. Oh um, God, yeah, yeah. My, uh, I witnessed my dad abuse my mom when I was younger. Mm-hmm. So I grew up around that. My dad, he did the best he could, but he whipped my ass too, along with my older sister. Oh, my dad too. Yeah. So, yeah. So I grew up being abused in a loving way. Huh? In a loving way, it was for me. It was like, get your shit together. You're good. Don't be a dumbass. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, it was, but it's like, yeah, you can say that with words. Yeah. You don't got to knock me around. Yeah, I don't cross that line. Yeah. yeah. Right. And then now their punk ass baby boomer mentality. They forgot the shit ever happened. Yeah. But um, but yeah. So I grew up around a fair share of violent exchanges. Mm-hmm. You know, my dad with my mom, my dad with me. Like I said, I grew up on the east side of Aurora. So. There's the occasional drive-by. I think by the time I graduated high school, I think I had like six, seven friends who were murdered in homicides. Oh, my gosh. In gangs. Yeah, bro. Yeah. I graduated when I was like 17. Mm. And yeah, I think I had like six, seven friends that were killed. All teenagers from gang violence. Um, then from 
I want to say right around 2000. I know this sounds just going to freak you out, but this is a, a thing. Okay. From 2000 until 2010, Christian, 10 years, mm-hmm. I lost 15 family members. What? Yeah. That's a, that actually happened. Now, this Finally. is all in Aurora? Or just. No, this is my family from old age, car accidents, disease. Yeah, literally, someone mm. was dying like, like once a year, sometimes twice a year. It was the weird. We thought our family was cursed for a minute. Yeah, that's why I'm all fucked up. Thoughts, I think it is. It's a lot of loss. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people don't know that. It's the first time I'm sharing that on a podcast. But yeah, that's a lot of loss. That's just to 2010. That's not even including when I got into comedy, and we had comedians, you know, die from suicide or right, right, right. heart attacks or whatever. So I've experienced a lot of a lot of loss. So um, wow. As far as like, uh, to answer your question, relationships, when you grow up around a lot of violence and a mm-hmm. lot of loss, you're no longer living. You're just in survival mode. Mm. And then when you get into toxic relationships that you don't think are toxic, right? because you're like, well, I kind of, this is life. Like I grew sure. up with an alcoholic father. Mm-hmm. Um, parents argue, parents hit each other. That's what I come from. This isn't new to me. Right. And then when you get into a relationship with someone that came from a healthier environment, mm-hmm. it's like what you just said. And then they're like, hey, is everything good? Like, <laughs> yeah. Then, like, yeah, Rudy, like everything's fine. You, you haven't done anything. Are you sure? Because you, you're waiting. Right, right. You're waiting you, to snap. You, yeah, you're waiting for someone to snap. You're waiting for someone to get triggered because you that's all you grew up with. Right. So it's a really weird transition because you're on edge all the time. Because you're mentally, emotionally scarred mm-hmm. from all the violence you grew up around, being in jail, everyone passed away in my family, friends that, you know, recently that passed away. Um, I just had an ex-girlfriend uh, pass away in December. Um, we dated, I think we broke up back in 2015, 2016, mm-hmm. something like that. Um, like her health was declining and I mm-hmm. still, I still stayed in contact with her, you know, make sure she was okay. Sure. I hadn't seen her like three or four years or something like that uh it was a long time mm-hmm. but we were cordial every now and then we check on each other how your kids doing this now? right right and i didn't hear from her around christmas i didn't hear from her for new year's hmm. and i was like man it's never gone like four or five weeks right, and finally right. i reached out to her daughter like hey i just want to make sure your mom's okay mm-hmm. um i haven't heard from her in like four weeks and she's like rudy uh i Hate to be able to tell you this, but she passed away back in December before Christmas. Oh gosh! The last time I spoke with her was December twelfth. They found her body. Ooh. That's the key word here. Yeah, that's the key phrase. They found her body on December nineteenth. Oh, was she so living by herself? Yeah, she lived by herself. Mm. So there was seven days where we don't know when she had passed away, and that was that's the first time where I experienced someone that I had dated that passed away. Even though I haven't seen her in like four or five years, it still messes with you. It still fucks with you. Of course, because there was something there. I don't care how bad. Yeah. I don't care what happened at the breakup. I don't care, you know, if it was bitter, if it was cordial, if it was a mutual thing. There was something there, right? There was a connection, yeah. and you can never take that away. How it ended, that's that's you know that's that it is what it is. But there was something there. You know what I mean? Obviously, yeah. there isn't, but there was, and that's all that matters. So there, that that fucks with you emotionally. Yeah, so I've had, as you can tell, just in the last three minutes, I've had a lot of emotional and and um, 
like mental damage from a lot of suffering, a lot of loss, a lot of violence and everything. I'm very calm now. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, a good friend of mine, Amy Blaze, we were talking about this. I sent her this one video. I'm like, this kind of defines me. I think it's to Mike Tyson's podcast where his co-host was like, hey, I saw this the other day. It said no one will under- no one will know the amount of violence it took to become this gentle. Mm. And that that's like, I'm not saying I'm this big, badass, mm-hmm. fucking tough guy. You know, I'm infallible. Just, you know, I'm <laughs> infallible, I, you know, but to grow up around an environment like that and to be a lot calmer now, it's weird because the newer class of comedians that are here now, you know, they're like, oh, Rudy's awesome. Like, he's so helpful. You know, he's very wise. He's always giving us compliments. You know, we like hanging on Rudy. But the comedians like Jack Baker, Excel, Peter Daniel, like, Rudy's kind of a dick. Like, if you piss him <laughs> off, he can whip your ass. Right. Like, Rudy used to punch people. Like, people say good morning to everybody. Like, you know. <laughs> so to be a lot calmer now, I think that the pandemic had a lot to do with that. Um, because I started getting into, like, Buddhism and meditating and that helped a lot and that really really calmed me down because when you come from you're always on edge from the moment you wake up you're in survival mode and that's not that's not a mental space to be right it, it messes with you it, it, it impacts your social interaction mm-hmm. absolutely yeah oh man that was deep you know the other thing i want to get to um i can't forget was uh the naming of the special alopecia american obviously um were you were you as open about it before the whole Will and Chris thing, or did that, or did that kind of, or did you start to open up more about it on stage? And obviously, I think the the naming of it was very timely. Um, but was you you removed that situation and event that took place? Yeah. Is the title still named that? And are you talking about it on stage? Yeah, you know, what's, um, that's a really good question. I'm glad you asked that. I got diagnosed with alopecia when I was like three years old. Okay. Um, I had these huge ball spots that my parents noticed when I was like three. Mm-hmm. They took me to a dermatologist. They did all these tests on me in 1979, 1980. They had no idea how this worked. Finally, they like, oh, your son has alopecia. Does anyone else in the family have it? They're like, no one in the family has this. Basically, it's my immune system in overdrive and acts my follicles because it missed my hair follicles as like a cold or a flu virus. Mm. So my immune system is like FCON 5 every day. Mm-hmm. So, which is kind of weird because I really everybody sick mm-hmm. because my immune system is constantly killing off my hair. Mm-hmm. So, fast forward to doing stand up comedy. Um, no, hold on. It went away when I was um, puberty going to high school, thank mm-hmm. God. And then um, when I graduated high school, then uh, my wife had been together, got married. Then all my hair, I always had bald spots. Mm-hmm. But when I was like 21, like everything like fell off. Mm. Like my eyebrows, yeah. eyelashes, my goatee was coming in, that fell off. And it's been like this ever since. Wow. So when I started stand-up, I want to say my first year in, I did a lot as a kid. Because mm-hmm. when it was like this, I was in first and second grade, mm-hmm. where actually my hair fell out, I shaved my head. Mm-hmm. I got bullied by a lot of kids. Yeah. So fast forward to stand-up, I never wanted to talk about it. Sure. Because it was still 
it's so horrible something to tell what I do because right. it, it, I don't look one else and it, that it bothers me. So I want to say my first year in, I tried doing some of the jokes I do now. Mm-hmm. I tried it back then. It worked. I didn't like that the audience laughed. Oh, sure. You know what I mean? It was a weird thing. I, I, I wanted to sort of work, so I would talk about my elevation. Mm-hmm. They would laugh. I'm like, oh, this worked well. I'm so hard. <laughs> so I stopped doing that material. It wasn't until I want to say around 2019 where I started doing the alopecia material mm-hmm. and it started working. And then mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, this works. Right. And I started thinking of all of these situations I had. Mm-hmm. And like all the all the alopecia material, all of that real. Like the the one joke where I talk about how I pulled out and she made it go on her <laughs> leg. That was a real thing. People, people think it's made up. Sure, I'm like, sure. no, this was an actual interaction with me. And she we were so completely sober. And she asked me to do that. It was a real thing. That's why no one thinks that's a real joke. But um and then the thing with the whole Will and Jada thing, um, like no one really knew about alopecia until the day after mm-hmm. that slap. Right. And now everybody knows about alopecia. And that pissed me off so bad. Sure. Because it messed up my because when I would do these jokes, I go into clubs and everything. I'm like, hey, has anybody known alopecia? Most of the audience had no idea what alopecia was. I'm like, good. They don't know what it is. Now I can lean into it right. and take them on this journey. Well, now everybody knows about it. So it affected the way I would set up my alopecia material. Mm-hmm. So then I had to switch it up. So now I'm just like, does anybody know uh, alopecia? Forget it. You guys know what it is by right, now. Right, right. It's yeah. all the fucking news. And then, so, um, but yeah. Um, I had actually the hashtag alopecia American that title came from uh, a joke I used to do where I would say, I'm surprised I forgot to do it in the special actually, <laughs> where I would say, um, I don't really consider myself having a disease. I don't like to say I'm living with alopecia. I like to refer to myself as an alopecia American. Mm-hmm. So that's where the, the idea for the title came from. Yeah. And so that's what made it stick. So yeah, that's uh, it's it, it, the funny thing is anytime they're dormant and in trees, I'll have a flat air. Alopecia, it just hasn't. It's been twenty six years, so mm-hmm. it hasn't done anything. Right. But yeah, it'll at any time it'll just stop. So that would freak everybody out. Yeah. Well, Rudy, I appreciate you doing this, man. I appreciate you giving me a little bit of time. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, this is really cool. There you have it, folks. Me and Rudy Ruiz. I hope you enjoyed that just as much as I did. Like I said in the beginning, we did get in the nitty-gritty addiction, jail, and more. Thank you all for tuning in, as always. Like I said in the beginning, you could check out his debut comedy special on YouTube called Allocution American. I'll be sure to link that in the notes as well for you so you could check that out. If you're in the Wisconsin area, specifically Ashland, on March 25th, you could catch Rudy at the Bohemian Hall fundraiser at the Bay City Cultural Center. That's in Ashland, Wisconsin. And then Thursday, March 30th, in Aurora, Illinois, his stomping grounds at the Still Not Friday Comedy at Two Brothers Roundhouse. That is in Aurora, Illinois. You could catch him there. That is the 30th of March. Thank you for tuning in as always. Stay safe and be well. <laughs>